On today's episode of Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast, we'll be talking about the NBA trade deadline. We'll take a look at the Celtics deals, give you a full breakdown of those trades, take a look at some other notable deals around the rest of the NBA. We'll take a look at the NBA standings as the second half of the season is well underway and some teams are you know, looking good, looking poorly. We'll take a look at all that. Uh, we will take a look at the NHL and the Bruins and their recent play. They returned to play last night after a week off, so we'll talk about that. Uh, we'll talk about some injured players that are working their way back. We'll also take a look around the rest of the NHL, some news and notes from around the league. We'll also get to some NFL. We'll talk about the Patriots um, and their continued spending spree, bringing back some um, guys that were on the team last year, so we'll get to those. Uh, we'll also continue the conversation about the quarterback as some interesting developments have have happened um, in the last week or so. We'll also take a look around the rest of the NFL, take a look at some other free agent signings. We will also get to the Red Sox, talk about some news as spring training comes to an end. The Red Sox will be playing a, an actual baseball game at Fenway Park in less than a week, so we'll take a look at what is going to happen for the Sox. Take a look at their early schedule. Uh, probably we'll get a baseball preview with Eric Bellier next week, so we'll keep you updated on that. We'll also take a look around the rest of the league, some news and notes. Um, and then we will get to the NCAA men's and women's basketball tournaments, give you a recap of what's happened, give you a preview of what's going to come next. And then we will also get to some men's college hockey and the NWHL. So let's go. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the program. It is Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. I'm your host, Garrett Hayden, and boy, today do we have a lot to get to. <laughs> kind of like last week, it's just uh, a whole ton of stuff. There's, you know, every kind of sports, you know, happening right now. We're going to get to all of it, going to get to um, some other stuff at the end that I'm excited to talk about, you know, NCAA. NWHL is back. We'll get to that at the end. Um, but as always, you can follow the podcast on Twitter and on Facebook. Uh, you can also listen on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can also read some of my written content at Garrett Hayden Sports Media. A little quiet on that this week, um, but promise that next week we will uh, get back to doing some uh, some good stuff, putting some content out there for you guys. Uh, and for those of you that are interested in A Breath of Fresh Life, my other podcast that I record with two of my best friends, Andrew Lydon and Brenna Keefe, you can also follow uh, that podcast on Twitter if you'd like, at Breath Podcast. Uh, we just recorded another episode on Wednesday night. So uh, please go check that out if you're interested. It's uh, 
a really fun project doing that with uh, with the two of them. So we kind of did a an agenda free episode, just kind of talking about random stuff. So uh, it got pretty funny. So definitely go tune into that if you'd like. Uh, but without further ado, let's get into it. We will get into the Celtics first. Talk about the NBA trade deadline that um, you know I think compared to most years it was a little bit more subdued. You know, I don't know if that has much to do with the pandemic or, you know, not really sure, you know. And I think also um, with this new with these new play-in games that I think that this caused some more teams to, you know, maybe be more aggressive than they originally would be or less aggressive, you know, depending on their position that, okay, you know, or, you know, if a team's a bad team, does it make sense to sell off guys, you know, if we're close to that 10 seed. So um, that could have also been why maybe it was a little subdued. You know, I think that obviously there were a ton of deals that happened um, and we'll get to some notable ones, but it didn't seem like there were a lot of like big deals that happened. Like sure, there were some names that were moved, um, but I think there were some names that a lot of people were expecting to be moved and didn't. You know, Kyle Lowry is a player that like, was one of those players I didn't expect he was going to be traded, but his name came up and kept coming up yesterday. And I was like, okay, it's probably only a matter of time uh, before he gets traded. But he ended up staying in Toronto. You know, my guess is the Raptors probably didn't find the best package that they would have liked. So, you know, he will stay there um, for the time being. Curious about what the future of that team looks like. Um, So... I think first and foremost, we should get to the Celtics deals because I think that's what everyone, you know, wants to talk about. Everyone's been talking about since um, for the last 24 hours or so since the Celtics uh, pulled the trigger to get Evan Fournier from the Orlando Magic. So I think on the surface, um, looking at this trade, dealing two second round picks, you know, getting rid of Jeff Teague, who probably, you know, won't stay in Orlando. He'll probably you know, get put on waivers and go somewhere else. Um, But I think that on the surface, it's a good move. You know, it's a solid move. He's, uh, Fournier is a very good, very good scorer. You know, has averaged nearly 20 a game this season for Orlando, who's been, you know, a bad team, and they chose to sell off a lot of their major players. Uh, But Fournier's been having a good season. You know, I think this is a player that I think the Celtics could have been after for a few years. Um... And I think that just the skill set of being a scorer, that's exactly what the Celtics need. That um, I think especially recently you've seen Marcus Smart, you know, being in the lineup late in games and he's hurt them, you know, from an offensive standpoint. And I think that getting a player like Fournier, who is a, you know, knows how to get buckets, you know, he's only 28 years old, but is always a guy that can get hoops. And I think that initially you're going to see him taking some of the pressure off Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum for them to constantly have to be the scorers, that adding another scorer, you know, gives them some help that either can help them when they're on the floor or even when they're off the floor, you know, that he's just an instant offense type of shooter. Um, So I know that there's concern about signing a player who, you know, is what looks like a rental, you know, at the moment because his contract is up in the summer, but... I think that Danny Ainge is not making this trade unless he figures that Fournier is going to re-sign. And I think that the Celtics probably can re-sign him. You know, I don't know what the money will look like, but I think that they should be able to. Um, 
you know, I don't know what the market would be for a player like him, but I think that this is a solid move because it gives the Celtics some help right now, and it possibly helps them down the road. You know, if they can bring Fournier back on a three, four-year deal, you know, for a decent amount of money, and he's only 28 years old. You know, it's not like he's 32. It's not like he's a very seasoned player. I mean, he is a seasoned player, but he's only 28. and still in the prime of his career, you know, and hopefully he can continue to build off the the scorer that he's been. So I think that, you know, from the perspective of the Celtics wanting to improve in the scoring area, they did exactly that. You know, they went out and addressed a need and, and, and did it. And I think that, you know, I think that some people, including myself, were very unsure about, okay, the team's not been playing well. And, you know, does this mean that they are less likely to make a move? And, um, I think some people would argue it actually was more likely that they would make a move based on how much they've been struggling, based on, you know, the record that they have, 21 and 23, you know, that they kind of need a bit of a boost. Um, It is interesting that, you know, the last time Danny Ainge made a trade deadline trade, Celtics were also under 500. So, you know, it's kind of crazy that, you know, they almost needed to make a move. And I think that I just didn't want them to do something just for the sake of doing something. But I think bringing in a player like Fournier is, is a good skill set, can help you right now, and it gives you a player that you could bring back and you could re-sign. So I think that, again, I think that people, you know, still want to talk about the, the traded player exception, but I just think that when the Celtics, and when the news initially came out that the Celtics were getting this exception, I think some people had this kind of fantastical idea of what this trade trade exception is going to be that, oh my God, like the Celtics can get a player that's, you know, being paid $28 million and they can just bring them onto their roster. And it's like, I never thought the Celtics were actually going to do something like that. You know, I thought that the most logical thing they were going to do is they were going to split it up, you know, and obviously it made sense too, because they could only use 19 million of it during the regular season, you know, that they wouldn't be able to use the full thing until the summer, but it's like, you know, I think that they, they made a smart move by bringing in Fournier and, you know, they can use some more of that exception maybe this summer. So I think that move is a solid move. You know, Jeff T gets gets moved. I think that I wasn't surprised. I kind of was like, I don't know if there's a team that would take him. But then again, you know, I think a player just gets thrown in like that and they can, you know, be put on waivers or say that they're not going to, you know, report to the team, you know, which is fine. But I think it's just too bad that Teague struggled as much as he did here. Um, I think that, you know, he'd been playing well recently because he'd had to. You know, they'd have to throw him into the lineup. Um, But I just think that he just started too slow. Um, And I think ultimately, just for most of the season, just was not really much of a useful player. Um, And I think that it's just too bad. You know, I really thought that he was going to be a solid backup point guard, but... You know, I still go back to this, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear it, but Jeff Teague was playing the fewest amount of minutes he's played in his career since his second season, and I think that it may just have been tough for him to, you know, uh, kind of play a different role. Because if you think about the teams that he played for last season, Minnesota, Atlanta, those are both young, rebuilding teams, you know, so... I don't know. It's like, I think no wonder his numbers were up last season, 11 points and six assists, you know, because you're considering that he's playing with 
you know, a team like Atlanta, a young team that's going to get up and down the floor, um, the team like Minnesota that's going to score a lot of points. So I just think that putting him in a backup bench role, you know, was difficult for him because I think he was used to starting or used to playing, you know, heavy amount of minutes. So, you know, it's just too bad. You know, I think it was too little too late that he started to play better. You know, it's like we would have liked to see that earlier in the season, but whatever, you know, it's going to be what it's going to be. Um, but the Celtics are putting a lot of faith in Peyton Pritchard. Um, I think that that's pretty clear based on, you know, what they did yesterday. Um, and then the other move, you know, kind of the three-way trade between the Celtics, the Wizards, and the Bulls, I think has some people confused and still confused, actually. One of my friends had just asked me a question about this maybe half an hour ago, um, about what it, what exactly are the Celtics doing, you know, trading Daniel Tice and getting, you know, Mo Wagner back. Um, and I think that on the surface, it looks bad. You know, on the surface, and I said this, a basketball move, a pure basketball player trade, Daniel Tice from Mo Wagner, that's a bad trade. From a basketball player standpoint, Daniel Tice is far and away a better player than him. Um, but I think that there are a couple of reasons why they did this. I think the first and most important reason is Celtics trade for Fournier, they go over the luxury tax. And I think that there's something that if you go over the luxury tax three times in four years, you have to pay a costlier penalty, you know, than you would in, in, in another in another context or in another scenario. Um, and so the Celtics were in danger of dipping into that, you know, had they traded for Fournier and that's all they did. So they needed to unload some salary. Um, and so I think that, you know, they, they, they unload Teague, who, you know, got included in that, in that Orlando trade. They get rid of Javante Green, and they get rid of Tice. And I think that there are some people looking at this as a basketball move as to, okay, why are they moving Tice and not Tristan Thompson? You know, I think what they did was move Tice because he is going to be a free agent at the end of the season, and the Celtics don't believe that they're going to be able to re-sign him. You know, he's only making $5 million this season, which is an unbelievable bargain. You know, do I think Daniel will get like a large free agent deal? Probably not, but he'll probably get more money than the Celtics would be willing to give him. So I think that this then came down to, okay, you're not going to bring Tice back next season because you probably won't be able to. What could you get for him? Um, And the Celtics, you know, not only had to get under the luxury tax, but they also needed to open up a roster spot too. Um, and so that's why I think they included Javante Green as well, because they needed to open up a roster spot for Fournier. Um, you know, I also think this has something to do with the potential for the Celtics to dip into the buyout market and take a look at an Andre Drummond or a LaMarcus Aldridge. It's actually interesting that we'll get to meet with Drummond, um, I think I saw. So then if you think about that, if you think about keeping, you know, Daniel Tice, um, Tristan Thompson you know, whoever the buyout person is and Robert Williams, you're going to cut into minutes for Robert Williams, which is, I think, not what the Celtics want. You know, and I think they want Robert to have a larger role. So I think that also played into the trade as well. But I will just say that, you know, Daniel Tice really surprised me. And I think surprised everyone by how much of a really solid player he was in his time here with the Celtics. You know, didn't blow anyone away. You know, wasn't the flashiest player, but... When the Celtics brought him in from Germany, 
no one had any idea what this guy was. No one had any idea what to expect from him. Um, and I think what we got is a solid, good hustling center, you know, that made that made plays and, you know, fit into the Celtics system really, really well. It was a great person, you know, was really well liked by a lot of guys in that room. And I got to imagine that, you know, Celtics players saying goodbye to him must have been tough because, you know, he's been a part of this team. He's been a pretty big part of this team for the last few years. So, um, you know, hopefully Daniel does well, gets a decent contract in the summer. Um, also wish well to Javante Green, um, you know, has a very interesting story. You should definitely uh, research more about him because he has a really interesting story. You know, made the Celtics based on uh, being on the summer league team a couple of years ago. So definitely uh, go look at his story because it's really interesting. Um, so I think based on what the Celtics have done, bringing in Fournier from from uh, Orlando, bringing in Wagner from uh, Washington, um, I think they also brought in someone from Chicago, but it's unclear whether this player is going to last with the Celtics, um, and maybe it's just kind of a a filler for, you know, in case they can't get someone on the buyout market. Um, I think it's Luke Cornett who played for the Bulls, um, 7'2", 250. I think he's an undrafted player. He's only been in the league two years, so unsure whether he'll play for the Celtics at all, uh, but he was also technically included in that three-way trade, but... Uh, Wagner is a solid player, you know, he's not going to blow anyone away, you know, gives the Celtics some toughness, is a solid rebounder, you know, again, isn't going to blow anyone away, but, you know, he's got some toughness, he's got some hustle in his game, so uh, the Celtics get something out of, you know, Daniel Tice, who they likely were going to lose in the summer, so, you know, it's it's solid, I think the moves are, are fine. You know, I will just say that anyone expecting the Celtics really to do anything drastic yesterday were kidding themselves. Um, I just, I didn't, I don't think that there was a trade out there that's going to, you know, vastly improve the team. You know, people would say, oh, well, you know, why would they trade for Fournier? Well, I think the idea is they want to keep Fournier around for a few years. And so that's why they went, went out and made this trade. You know, they're not going out to make this trade with him or with the Magic, with the intention that Fournier is just going to leave after this season. So I think that this trade has, you know, potential to, you know, help them down the road, not just this season. So, you know, what to expect from the Celtics the rest of the season, you know, who knows. But I think that, you know, having Fournier on this team is going to create an interesting dynamic Do the Celtics choose to start him. Um, and they, do they choose to bring Marcus Smart off the bench? I think that I would prefer that idea um, because I think Marcus, general, generally when he comes into a game, he just brings energy. And I think that you've been missing some energy from your bench this season at certain points. And so I think it might give him more of an opportunity to step into that six-man role, which I think he's very, very capable of doing. So um, they could go that way or they could bring Fournier off the bench and you know, have him kind of be the scorer off the bench that could come in and relieve the starters. Um, but I really think either way could work. I don't think he's playing tonight. I'd be surprised if he plays tomorrow. Um, you know, the new guys, I think, do have to pass a physical, but um, unsure whether they'll be available tonight or tomorrow. But chances are you'll get to see uh, Fournier in uniform when the Celtics come back home. I think against the Pelicans next week might be Wednesday. Um, so we'll see. Uh, definitely pay attention to that. So 
After we're talking about the Celtics, we can get to some other uh, trade deadline acquisitions that happened. A couple of key ones. Um, you know, I think that the biggest one was... Um, well, I don't know. I don't know if I really want to say, oh, this one was the biggest one. But a couple of interesting ones. The Bulls dealing for um, Nikola Vucevic, um, which is interesting because I think that um, it gives the Bulls another solid player, a good you know, all-star to pair with uh, Zach Levine. So I'm very interested to see what's in the future for uh, the Chicago Bulls um, as they traded Otto Porter... Wendell Carter and two first-round picks to the Magic. So uh, the Magic, you know, getting a bunch of different assets in based on the couple trades that they made. Um, so Otto Porter is a, na- is a name to be interested in on the buyout market. I think the Celtics might possibly be um, interested in him. You know, it'll be interesting to see. I think that the Celtics probably will likely look at a big man first if they can't get you know, one of those, they might take a look at a Porter, who I think could be a, a solid addition to the bench. Um, the Clippers swapping Rondo for um, Lou Williams, which I thought was interesting. Um, then, obviously, the Nuggets getting Aaron Gordon. Uh, Magic getting Gary Harris, RJ Hampton, and a first-round pick. So, here's what I think about Aaron Gordon. Um, and this is just purely speculation. This is not based on fact. Um, But I believe probably what happened is there were some reports right as the Celtics got uh, Fournier that, okay, he could be part of a larger deal. Um, And that, you know, could potentially Aaron Gordon be part of this trade. Um, I have a feeling that, you know, there was talks about that. And I bet that the Magic asked them about, uh, asked the Celtics about Marcus Smart. And the Celtics probably said absolutely not. So, um that's why I think, or that's what I think happened. But if you look at what the Magic got from Denver, it was better than what the Celtics could give them. Um, I think that the Celtics, what they were offering was a young player and a first-round pick. Um, so probably a Romeo Langford or an Aaron Neesmith. But, you know, Denver puts in Gary Harris. The Celtics don't really have someone like Gary Harris that they can include in a trade. So um, included a roster player, a good young player, and a first-round pick. So... I think it may have been a little too much for the Celtics um, to get Aaron Gordon. But regardless, big big get for the Nuggets. I think that's a solid move. Nuggets also got JaVale McGee earlier in the day. Um, the Sixers brought in George Hill, which was um, an interesting move. The Trailblazers bring in uh, Norman Powell from the Raptors. I thought that was a really strong addition. Uh, Norman Powell's been playing really good basketball this season. Um, I really, really like that trade for the Trailblazers, um, you know. And then, the, and then the big one, you know, right after the deadline was uh, Victor Oladipo. Uh, that was the last trade I think I wanted to talk about. Um, so obviously, we knew that Oladipo was not going to be staying in Houston uh, for the season. You know, I think that Houston got him in the off season from Indiana. You know, right after the Harden trade. Um, with the idea that they're probably going to trade him, you know, at the deadline and probably get, you know, a decent package for him. Well, they didn't exactly get a decent package. They got a pretty bad package uh, from the Heat. Avery Bradley, Kelly Olynyk, and a first-round pick swap in 2022, uh, which is shocking. So what I think happened is 
Houston probably was sniffing around to see if anyone was going to take on Oladipo. Uh, nobody, nobody bit, you know, and they probably went back to the Heat, who I think the Heat were initially interested in Oladipo a couple of weeks ago. And the Heat were like, okay, we're not going to give you Duncan Robinson. We're not going to give you Tyler Hero. And so I bet Houston got very, very desperate and went back to the Heat because they couldn't find any other offers. And so they just said, okay, give us anything. And the Heat gave them absolutely nothing. So, yeah, the Rockets really bungled this one. Um, the Heat get a solid player in Oladipo. You know, when I was thinking about this earlier, you know, Oladipo has not quite been the same player in the last few years. Um, but it is interesting to note him going to Miami. Miami, I think, is a good spot for him. Um, so I don't expect that he's going to make a huge impact, but, you know, obviously me saying that I fully expect him to actually have a huge impact. Um, it's a night, nice, it's a good deal for the heat. Very interested to see how he fits in, um, having another shooter and a scorer, uh, for the heat. So, you know, that's an interesting trade for the heat, but you know, Pat Riley wins again. It was just terrible asset management by the, uh, Houston Rockets. So, um, they are left with, not very much, still from the leftover from the Harden trade, if you will. Um, so, you know, I think that it, in terms of a winner and a lo- winners and losers, I really don't think I'd go that far. You know, maybe the Rockets are losers, but like teams that made trades, you know, that the Mavericks got JJ Redick. I think that that will help. Um, they also got Nicola Melli too. Um, you know, I think the Magic made out fairly well in the trades that they made. Um, you know, Wendell Carter, two first-round picks from the Bulls, um, getting some picks from the Celtics, and then getting Gary Harris, R.J. Hampton, and a pick from the Nuggets. So I think they made out pretty well, you know, with their rebuild. Um, Terrence Ross, I was very surprised he wasn't moved. Um, he had a pretty funny tweet on Twitter, so <laughs> that was uh, kind of entertaining yesterday. But... Um, LaMarcus Aldridge has completed a buyout with the Spurs, and I believe that um, Andre Drummond also worked one out. So uh, the Celtics are among five teams that will uh, make a pitch to Andre Drummond, I think I understand. Um, It seems like the Heat are a frontrunner on Aldridge, so definitely uh, keep tabs on that as the buyout market will get interesting. Um, But as I said before, I think the Celtics are going to be looking to add a big and if they can't, they'll probably try to bring in an auto porter. Um, so definitely keep your eyes on that. Uh, if the Celtics do decide to get a player on a buyout, that will be interesting. I think that, you know, Drummond, I'm not a fan of, tr- I wasn't a fan of trading for him. Um, but I think if the Celtics brought him in on a buyout or brought him in on, you know, a small free agent deal, which is probably what he'll get, you know, he could end up helping the Celtics because he's a great rebounder. You know, as a solid player inside, he doesn't really stretch the floor, but I don't think he really has to necessarily. Like, I think if the Celtics bring him in, they will bring him in to do exactly what he's good at, which is rebounding and scoring around the basket. You know, um, he's a bad free throw shooter, so you'll see a lot of hack, hack a Drummond, you know, whatever team he goes to. <laughs> but I think that he'd be a solid fit on the Celtics, you know, on a very cheap contract. You know, I just wasn't a fan of trading for him and his you know, 28, 29 million a year contract, which is just insane. You know, no, in, in no way would that make sense um, for the Celtics. So deadline's interesting. You know, it's usually kind of the last thing that happens before the stretch run 
of the rest of the NBA season. So um, as we take a look at the standings, you know, I know the Celtics made some solid moves, but uh, they're not in a great spot in the uh, Eastern Conference right now. The Celtics currently um, are in eighth place um, in the East, just a half game ahead of the Indiana Pacers in ninth. So uh, things need to get better for the Celtics. Um, you know, it's 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 the same. It's the same. It's the same. You know what? You know that we've seen in this, with this team the last couple of games. You know they did put up a pretty valiant effort against the Bucks in the fourth quarter the other night. You know, almost coming back from a twenty-plus point deficit. You know, Tice had a chance to win the game. Ironically, that's his last act as a member of the Celtics. Um, but the Celtics fought back in that game. But it's like the starts have to be better. Uh, the Celtics take on the Bucks tonight. Really don't know what to expect. You know, you should see the regular guys back in. You know, curious about Thompson and Langford. They should be able to return shortly, you know, from the COVID protocols. But again, I don't really know the details on that. But, you know, the Celtics, it, it's got to get better. You know, the effort on defense has to get better. And, you know, I've said this before. You know, a trade isn't just going to magically change things. You know, it could give them kind of a shot in the arm. Um, but it starts and ends with the guys on the team right now that if they bring the effort that's required, if they bring the energy, they'll be fine. But it's just not happening on a consistent basis, and it's very concerning. It's very concerning where the Celtics are right now. Will they miss the playoffs? Probably not. I would be shocked if they did. Um, You know, if they miss the playoffs, I don't really want to have that conversation, but You know, there could be a serious conversation about, you know, changing the direction of the team if they indeed miss the playoffs. But, you know, the Celtics in eighth place, but obviously the Eastern Conference is, you know, pretty wild. The Celtics are only a game and a half out of fourth place. So, you know, if the Celtics honestly go on any type of run, they should be able to get that fourth spot fairly easily. Um, But that's obviously a big ask, you know, based on how they've played recently. But, you still have the Sixers on top of the East. Uh, the Bucks and the Nets are two games back. Um, the Hornets are currently in fourth place, followed by the Knicks in fifth place, and then the Hawks in sixth, Heat in seventh, then the Celtics in eighth, and then you have the Pacers and the Bulls in ninth and tenth. So, you know, this is an interesting trade for the Bulls because, you know, as I said, this is a team that, you know, isn't exactly a great team. They're kind of a mediocre team, but they're a team that, you know, bringing in Vucevic, they might actually be able to make some noise, you know, in that in, in that play-in uh, in that play-in round, um, as I think they would end up playing the nine seeder. I'm not sure how that exactly works, but you know, they currently are in technically in a playoff spot. So, getting Vucevic to pair with Levine, you know, I think is a pretty good addition for the Bulls. So, it'd be interesting to see what they do the rest of the season. Uh, it'd be also interesting to see about Toronto, kind of the future of their team. Um, then in the West, Utah Jazz are still the class of the West. Obviously, there's been news about LeBron James and his ankle injury and, you know, whether the, what's going to happen with the Lakers, you know, they still have lost four straight games, but they're still, you know, 11 games over 500. So they're in a decent spot, but, you know, I'd be interested to see if they add anyone on a buyout um, because, you know, Davis and LeBron aren't playing and probably won't be back anytime soon. So, you know, it'd be interesting sort of stretch for them. But, you know, obviously, 
you know, and this is probably in the back of some team's mind, but it's very possible the Lakers could just end up in the middle of the pack in the West and just make a run to the finals, you know, like LeBron did in Cleveland for a couple of years that, you know, the Cavs don't really take the regular season very seriously, and then they come in the playoffs and destroy everyone. So, you know, don't rule that out because LeBron is still playing at pretty much the same level he's played at for the past, like, 12 years, which is insane. You know, he just is not human. It's insane. It's insane how good he is. Um, So the Jazz still in first in the West, uh, Phoenix in second. Then you have the Clippers in third. Then the Lakers are in fourth right now. You have Denver that is fifth. Um, I really liked that they brought in Gordon and JaVale McGee. I think that that will give them um, some solid players. And, you know, it'd be interesting to see what is in store for them the second half of the year. Um, then you got Portland in sixth, Dallas in seventh, San Antonio in eighth, and then Memphis and the Warriors in ninth and tenth, respectively. Um, so again, things will get very interesting with those uh, with that play-in game. So um, you know, definitely pay attention to that. Um, so yeah, again, Celtics in Milwaukee tonight at seven thirty. They will then play on Saturday night in Oklahoma City. So back to back for the Celtics, and then they are back home for a number of games. I think next week. Um, so it'd be interesting to see when Fournier come return or when he makes his debut, when Wagner makes his debut, it'd be interesting to see. So, um, all right, that's probably it for NBA. If you want any other NBA thoughts, just, you know, DM me, you know, text me, um, any of that stuff, uh, if you have any other questions. All right. So we will now get to the NHL. We're going to talk about the Bruins. So obviously when we talked to you guys, uh, last week, um, the Bruins apparently had a player that was entered into the COVID protocols. I think it was Sean Corrali, and uh, Buffalo also had a staff member that uh, was put in the protocols. And so it looked like the Bruins were initially not going to play. Then they ended up playing, and you know, wouldn't you know, four players, five players for the Bruins, or four additional players for the Bruins went into the protocols. So yeah, they probably shouldn't have played that game. Uh, Bruins won anyway, but they definitely shouldn't have played it because then the Bruins had uh, their next two games postponed. So, you know, totally genius move by the NHL there. Um, So the Bruins, obviously, without a game for a whole week, came back and returned uh, last night to the Garden. There were fans back in the building, which was awesome. About 2,000 fans were uh, admitted to into the Garden last night. So uh, Bruins go up against the Islanders. Um, you know, so this was this was an interesting game because I felt like a lot happened in this game. So the Bruins obviously have had their troubles with the Islanders this season, you know, including the loss uh, last night. I don't believe that they've beaten them in five tries. I think they're 0-3-2 in the five games that they've played. So... You know, I didn't think the Bruins played bad. You know, I don't think this was a game where it's like, okay, you know, same stuff is happening. Um, They got some goals from unexpected places. You know, Steven Kampfer out there on that power play unit got a power play goal. Uh, Carson Kuhlman scored the first goal of the game. Then Otters Bjork tied the game with two minutes left, and it was like, okay. I don't think I've ever seen a game like this where the Bruins get three goals from players that you really didn't expect to score goals. Um, and so I thought that for the most part, the Bruins had a decent game. You know, the Islanders are one of the best teams in the league for a reason, you know, 
Um, they come at you in waves, you know, even though they've lost, they've lost Anders Lee, uh, they're still a very good hockey team. And, you know, the Bruins defense, I think definitely was up against it last night. You know, it doesn't help that the Bruins are as shorthanded as they are, that you have to have, you know, Connor Clifton ha- forcing, forced to play top four minutes, which I don't really think he can handle. You know, that might be a, a controversial take for some people, but I don't know. He makes too many mistakes with the puck, and it just was hard to watch him and Zaboral play together last night. Um, you know, and Camphor, God bless him, he tries, you know, but it's just like, it's very obvious that he really can't play on a nightly basis. You know, if you want to have him play every once in a while, that's fine. You know, and he actually honestly wasn't bad last night. But I think when you're playing a team like the Islanders that come at you at the on the forecheck, he can sometimes struggle against that. And I thought Tenorti also struggled too. And the Bruins really, you know, had two pairs that had a hard time defending the Islanders. And, you know, you can't put Grizzly and McAvoy out there the whole game. So... The Islanders gave the Bruins problems, but I thought the Bruins fought, you know, especially after the Islanders score three straight goals, go ahead 3-2 late in the third, and they come right back and get the tying goal. Um, And really gave you a thought that, okay, Bruins are going to come back and win, and then, you know, Charlie Coyle gets caught flat-footed in overtime, Halak can't hang on to the puck, and Beauvillier puts it in, and it just was like, ugh. It was one of those games where it's like you really felt like the Bruins were going to win, and you really felt great going into that overtime. And then uh, game-winning goal, 20 seconds in, you're like, come on. So um, it was tough, you know, but I think that to be expected, the Bruins, you know, had been off for a week. It had a lot happened. Um, they come into this game. They lose to Garask after the first period, um, but they, you know, stay with it. You know, couldn't get the two points, but you got one point, and I think – you know, looking at the standings, looking at the teams that are behind the Bruins right now, the Bruins have a ton of games in hand on the two teams, Philadelphia and the Rangers that are chasing them. Um, and so I think at this point, any night you can get points the same night that, you know, an, a Rangers team or a Flyers team does, that you're fine. You know, so it wasn't ideal with the loss. Obviously, you're not okay losing any game. But, you know, I really thought the Bruins played, played all right last night. Um, so obviously Tuka Rask going out after the first period is a concern, um, because Tuka had been pretty banged up previously, you know, had missed a number of games, was kind of, you know, back in Boston after the Bruins, um, you know, went on their road trip and, uh, yeah, comes into the game and kind of awkwardly, awkwardly moved his leg after coming off the ice at the end of the first period, um, last night. And so Halak comes in and, you know, plays all right. But, you know, I'll be honest, I'm a little concerned about Tuca. Uh, I haven't heard anything about his well-being or how he's doing or what the injury is, but you got to believe that he probably won't be available for the next few games. So, you know, it's a, it's a concern because I think you want all your guys to be healthy, and unfortunately the Bruins have kind of been through the ringer this season. They've had a lot of injuries and a lot of key spots, and yeah, stop me if you've heard this before. Um but I think, you know, it just, you know, I, I, I do want to say that I think getting Carlo and getting Lozon back is really going to help. But again, I don't really know when that's going to be. The good news is they're practicing. The good news is some Bruins players um, have been able to practice even though they've been hurt. And so 
you know, I think, you know, I think that, you know, they just got to keep going. They just got to keep playing, keep bringing the consistent effort and, um, you know, hope that you still continue to get goals from places that you don't expect. You know, it's not going to happen every night, but, you know, I really thought that last night the third line was really good. You know, it was probably the Bruins' best line. You know, you got goals from Bjork and Kuhlman. You know, you had Coyle that assisted on Bjork's goal. You know, it was a net front presence on two of the goals uh, from Kuhlman and from Kampfer. So I thought that your third line last night was your best line. And I think that anytime the Bruins can have games like that where your secondary lines play really well, it's huge. You know, I thought that that fourth line probably could have made a better impact last night. Um, You know, I like McKegg. I think that he's actually been playing solid the last couple games he's played. Um, So, and I also think the Bruins are kind of forced into it because Corrales still in, you know, the COVID protocols. So he's kind of forced into that position. I really don't like Chris Wagner playing um, on that Bruins fourth line. I know that he's a solid hitter and, you know, brings some of that physical element, but all too often, it's not like he's not doing that. You know, he's not doing that every game. It's like every every four or five games, he's, you know, laying big hits and being involved. But it's like, I'm sorry, you need guys who are going to be involved every night. And so I kind of was annoyed that he was in the lineup and not Studnika, which I think the Bruins are in a spot where Jack kind of needs some consistent ice time. Um, so I don't know. It was a little annoying. But, you know, we'll see. I think with the Bruins having to play you know, a ton of games in the last 45 days of the season, you know, you're going to have to, you're going to see a lot of different guys playing. And so I think, you know, Studnika could be the beneficiary of, you know, that situation that he ends up playing a lot because the Bruins might try to rest certain guys. Um, But yeah, I mean, it's going to be, it's going to be difficult, you know, and every team's had to go through it. Every team is going to go through stretches where they don't have off days. It's just the nature of this season. So, um, you know, Grizzlick and McAvoy have been really good as a D pair, but, you know, they really need Lausanne and Carlo back, like, as soon as possible. Um, the good thing is for the Bruins, they have games in hand. They still have seven games against the Buffalo Sabres, so um, the Bruins will have plenty of chances to pile up some points, but you really would have liked to see them get that extra point last night. But, you know, what happens. The Islanders are a good team, and they've had your number, you know. I'm not going to get too frustrated at the Bruins losing to, you know, the Islanders because they're a good team. You know, you should be more frustrated at their inability to beat the New Jersey Devils. Um, Bruins play them on Sunday. So, you know, it's like in this season, you've got to take advantage of teams that aren't good. You have to pile up points against them. You just have to. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Bruins do play uh, Buffalo tomorrow afternoon, then they will play the Devils on Sunday, I want to say. So it might be a back-to-back that the Bruins play both games at the Garden. Um, So we'll take a look around the rest of the NHL, take a look at some standings. Uh, Just some notes from games last night. Um, Alex Ovechkin scores scores his career goal, number 721. Uh, Dougie Hamilton continues to pile up points as a 13-game point streak right now. Uh, so the Hurricanes win in overtime. Uh, Mika Zibanejad and the Rangers destroyed the uh, Philadelphia Flyers. Stop me if you've heard this one before. <laughs> the Rangers put nine goals on them last week and then put eight on them last night. So 
things are getting really bad in Philadelphia. And I know that I mentioned that the Flyers, you know, are one of those teams behind the Bruins, but I really don't have much confidence in them. However, the Rangers, in the, on the other hand, they're playing some really good hockey. So we'll take a look at the standings in a moment. Um, the Penguins, Kasperi Kapanen is going to be out for a couple of weeks. Um, and the Sabres, you know, just can't catch a break. Their uh, interim coach, uh, Granado, is out due to the COVID protocols. I think they've had a number of coaches who have been out. And I believe last night they had uh, their general manager essentially be their coach. So, you know, it's just it just gets worse and worse for that franchise. So um, they've still lost, I think, what, 17 straight games. So naturally the Bruins play them tomorrow afternoon. They better be careful not to be that team that they beat. Um, so we'll take a look at the NHL standings right now. The defending champs, the Tampa Bay Lightning, have the best or have the most points in the league with 50. They are the first team to 50 points this season, 7-3-1 in their last 10. But Carolina is hot on their tail. They're just a game, uh, three points back, and do have a game in hand, and they've been playing well recently. Uh, the Panthers have dropped off a little bit. Um, Sasha Barkov has gone out for a couple games, so he might be out for a decent amount of time. But Florida's still, you know, no really no danger of missing the playoffs, but, you know, definitely something to keep an eye on for them. Uh, the Blackhawks in that four spot, and, you know, Columbus and Nashville are making things a little interesting. Uh, the, the last spot in the Central has become a little bit more interesting, as Nashville, thanks to a 6-3-1 and mark in their last 10, they've won three straight. They are now just four points back of Chicago and Columbus is three points back as they've gotten some points. They've had points in seven of their last 10, uh, four wins and three overtime or shootout losses. Um, and then in the East, you get the Islanders on top of the Capitals by two points. Then you got Pittsburgh with 44 points. And then the Bruins uh, pretty far back with 37 points. Uh, the Rangers and the Flyers, just three points back of the Bruins, but Bruins do have three games in hand on the Rangers and the Flyers um, and five in hand on the Islanders and the Penguins. So, you know, the games in hand could be something that the Bruins could use to move up the standings a little bit. But, um, you know, got to continue to put up points, you know, whether it's wins or overtime or shootout losses, whatever it is. So um, definitely keep an eye on that in the West. You know, Vegas and Colorado atop the West with 45 points. Minnesota is two points back, and St. Louis has really struggled, so they've dropped back um, a little bit as they are now in that fourth and final playoff spot, thanks to only three regulation wins in their last 10 games. Arizona is creeping up a little bit. They're four points back, uh, but, you know, I don't really expect much to change in the West. Um, then in the North, you have uh, the North Division that's actually starting to play a little bit better. Edmonton has won three straight. Toronto and Winnipeg have won two straight. Toronto is atop the North with 44 points. And then Winnipeg and Edmonton with 42. Montreal with 37 points. Um, in fourth place, you know, it would normally look like Vancouver is making some headways. They're only two points out. But Montreal is uh, currently in, I think, a pause right now. And at the moment, Montreal is six games in hand on Vancouver. So it uh, does not look very good for Vancouver. Um, so 
again, I think that this is a division where um, I don't think much is changing. You know, I think you're going to have the four teams that make the playoffs or the four teams that are in, you know, playoff position right now that most likely are just going to be the um, playoff teams. As you have Toronto, Winnipeg, Edmonton, and Montreal probably locked in there, you know, unless something crazy happens. Um, it's really been disappointing years for uh, Vancouver and Calgary um, up in the north. So definitely, definitely, you know, keep your eye on that division, but I wouldn't expect that much is going to change. All right, so now with that out of the way, we will get to the Patriots and talk about some more free agency. So most of the Patriots free agency news in the last week or so has been uh, players returning. You know, players that were with the team last year, with the team the last couple of years, and they are back. So I think that, you know, you look at a player like James White, who is back, you know, is a player that's going to help the Patriots uh, backfield, you know, and I think that, you know, one of the things that, you know, was interesting to me is, I was surprised that um, there were not other teams that were, you know, more in the running for him, specifically Tampa Bay. Um, I really thought that the Buccaneers were going to make a, a big push for James White, but, you know, I've never really heard much about it. But uh, James is back a one-year, $2.5 million a fully guaranteed contract with the Patriots. So he will be back for another year. Not much risk to this, you know, giving the Patriots a solid pass-catching uh, running back who can be in on third downs on short yardage um, and just, you know, create matchup problems for the defense. And, you know, it's pretty much what James has done his whole career. So um, I think running back is one of those positions that um, you need some continuity in. You know, I think that this is a year that the quarterback position could look very different. The wide receiver position is going to look very different. The tight end position is going to look very different. Um, and so I think it's important to have some continuity at some, you know, key offensive position. Um, offensive line, obviously, with the return of um, Ted Karras and uh, David Andrews, you know, there's not going to be a lot of turnover at the offensive line position, which I think is great, um, good for the running game, you know, and good for whoever the quarterback is going to be, that you don't really have to worry about, you know, new bodies. And even the new bodies that they've brought in, Karras and... Ted Brown have played for the, or Karras and Trent Brown have played for the team before, so they know exactly what's what's going on. So, you know, the Patriots continue the spending spree, but, you know, bringing back some key players that I think are going to help them. Uh, Lawrence Guy is also back, which is huge. You know, I think that he's been one of their better run defenders, and I think the Patriots are going to be a lot better in the front seven defending the run this season. Um, bringing Guy back is huge. They brought in Montrevious Adams, who's a defensive lineman from Green Bay. Um, and so I think that the Patriots are going to be a much better team defending the run this season, which I think is going to be huge. You know, take some pressure off the passing game a little bit. Um, and then uh, Nick Folk is back. You know, I think the Patriots, um, you know, really expected more out of Justin Rorosser last season. Uh, the fifth-round draft pick, they put him on waivers. So uh, kind of just an unfortunate 
just it just everything went wrong for him after being drafted so um it doesn't seem like he'll be back you know i think that bringing folk back you know is just a solid solid signing um he was very good for them last year i mean really no reason for the patriots not to bring him back you know a solid kicker that you can have and then um you know i think this position will be interesting to watch in the next two years to see if the Patriots draft someone this year or next season. Um, they do have Roberto Aguayo on the roster. He used to kick for uh, Florida State and then kicked for the Buccaneers. He's had a really uneven career. So, you know, I don't really expect him to take the job from Folk. Like, I think you could see the Patriots take another pick, take another flyer on a kicker um, in the draft. But, you know, kickers are hard. They're kind of hard to evaluate. So, um, be interesting to see, but good to have Folk back, you know, missed two field goals, had two game winners, you know, really was one of the bright spots on the team last season. So, um, really no issues with that. I think that that, uh, decision made a lot of sense. Um, so I think that's probably, you know, it, oh, Raekwon McMillan, the Patriots brought in, um, former Vegas Raiders linebacker, um, Played for Ohio State, uh, second-round pick for the Dolphins, you know, tore his ACL, I think, in his first preseason game. Um, But played in all 16 games last season. You know, the Patriots just bringing in some solid linebackers that, you know, they really are, you know, bringing in some kind of a lot of low-cost, high-upside players. Um, and I think anytime you just bring in more bodies at the linebacker position, I think it's just, it really, you can't have, you can't have too many bodies at that position. Um, so the Patriots are really making an effort uh, to replenish that position, obviously bringing in Matthew Judon, bringing in uh, Van Noy again, and then you have Hightower who's presumably back, and, you know, then you have the the young the young rook, the young players like uh, Winovich and uh, Anthony Jennings and Josh Uche. So, I think that position really is going to be a strength for them this season. So, um, you know, that's probably it for the Patriots in terms of their, you know, signings. You know, I think the quarterback conversation still is an ongoing conversation. Um, you know, Cam Newton's here, but again, I think he's a placeholder. I think that the Patriots are going to make a push for Jimmy Garoppolo. I heard that the other day from a friend that had shared an Instagram post based on something Diana Rossini had said on ESPN that, you know, the Patriots are still sniffing around on Garoppolo and, you know, are still kind of waiting in the wings in in case San Francisco decides to trade him. Um, So I really think that that's what the Patriots first goal is to is to do is to try to see if they can get anything for Garoppolo Um, and if they can't then I think you're likely to see them trade up in the draft but the problem is I think for the Patriots to get someone like Justin Fields uh, for example they might need to trade into the top five Um, and I think that I have some concern of the Patriots trading draft picks going into next season I think I'd much rather see the Patriots dra- uh, trade picks this season because they've improved the roster so much. And, you know, really, I don't know if there's a position 
in the draft we're like okay we're really thin at this position we need to bring in someone um so you know i just don't know if they could get into the top five to get um fields because you have you know uh the jaguars first they're taking trevor lawrence you have the jets second i think they're almost certainly going to take uh zach wilson although you know it's very interesting about sam darnold because the jets have brought in some wide receivers and they might be under the impression that you know darnold's going to be the guy which if he is it wouldn't make any sense for them to draft a wilson but i feel like they would almost be forced to because you know why would you pass on a guy like that so that will be interesting but i think almost certainly those first two teams are taking a quarterback you know the dolphins won't be taking a quarterback they almost certainly will take um a skill position player uh kyle pitts or a wide receiver um and then Atlanta. Atlanta is the interesting team because I think that they could be in a position to draft Justin Fields as kind of a uh, replacement down the road for Matt Ryan. Um, and I think that's the team that might actually be taking a quarterback and the Patriots might need to trade up to that spot. Um, I think for the Patriots, if they want to get Trey Lance, they probably could trade into the top 10, maybe to seven, um, because I think a team like Carolina is going to be looking for a quarterback, so you might want to get in front of them. Um, So, you know, it's interesting, but I think it's Garoppolo. I think that's going to be what the Patriots really try to do, and if they can't, they try to move up. Um, And so I think that's probably what their strategy is right now for uh, the quarterback position, but obviously a lot can change. We are, you know, about a month out from the draft, and, you know, it will be very interesting to see. Uh, what ends up happening, but really think that this Patriots team has been built really well this offseason through free agency. And, you know, really, if you get a decent quarterback, this team could be really good, you know. And I'm not going to rule out that, you know, Cam Newton comes back and has a solid season. You know, I don't think that that's the ideal scenario, but um, I really think that he comes back with a full offseason, full training camp and all that, you know, he might do better than he did last season. Um, I also just think, and I want to say this, kudos to Jared Stidham and kudos to Cam Newton for, you know, getting guys together, getting guys to go out to California and throw and just be together, meet each other and just throw the ball. Um, It really is huge that they, you know, were able to initiate that. And, you know, Jared is in a tough spot. You know, I think that, it's easy to, you know, just talk about him like he sucks and that he's a bust and this and that. Um, but I really think, like, this shows me a lot that he is doesn't really care about where his spot is on the team, that he wants to help the team in any possible way he can. So um, I think that it just is... Great initiative, great kind of team bonding type of stuff that you really want to see from a team that is going to bring in a lot of new faces this season. So, you know, kudos to the both of them for doing that. And, you know, their starting job is not guaranteed. Some would say they probably have no chance to be the starting quarterback, but, you know, good on them to be able to do that. Um So around the rest of the NFL, take a look at some signings. Um, 
that happened about a week ago. I think Juju Smith-Schuster going back to Pittsburgh. I think that that was um, about a week or so ago. Um, the Jets have been fairly active, as have the Giants. Um, Giants obviously bringing in Kenny Galladay, which I thought was huge uh, for them. Very curious to see how he fits into uh, that offense. I really think that uh, this is it for for Daniel Jones. That you know, not this is it, but like this really is shaping up to be you know huge. That you know this might be the year that he could put it together. But if he doesn't, there might be some questions. Um, so you know, Schuster back to the Steelers. Uh, Will Fuller to the Dolphins. You got AJ Green signed to the Cardinals. I think we talked about that. Um, the Cardinals also brought in. Um, Malcolm Butler, I think that that was late last night. Um, so, yeah, Jets have been active. Sheldon Rankins, uh, Marcus May, I think, is back. Um, yeah, and the Giants, you know, Galladay, I think that that's going to be a very interesting, a very interesting addition. You know, I really think that um, this could be the year that, you know, the Giants really have to put it together and really, you know, no more excuses. Um type of thing. Um, just trying to look through any other signings. You know, the Patriots, obviously, the most active team, which, you know, again, is not something I ever imagined uh, when we started free agency that the Patriots are going to be this active. I figured that they would be active. I just did not think they would be, like, this active. And, you know, again, you know, contrary to some people's belief, that the Patriots are, you know, exhibiting bad money management, you know, to each his own, I guess. But none of the contracts, again, and I said this last week, none of the contracts that they have signed have made you look at them like, wow, that's a bad contract. You know, maybe there are two, three guys that got, you know, overpaid, but that's going to happen in free agency. But it's like, even those deals, you know, Johnny Smith, Matthew Judon, they're not bad deals, really, by any means. So... You know, I think that that's interesting. Adore Jackson, another player that the Giants brought in, I knew I was forgetting one of them. Um, and then the the L.A. Rams bringing in Deshaun Jackson. I thought that that was very interesting. Um, Jackson's a deep threat, can still play, is still a very solid receiver. You know, that's an offense that is going to be very interesting to watch because, you know, you have Stafford as, you know, as opposed to Goff. Stafford's a lot stronger of an arm. Um, Gerald Everett, I don't think is back. They do have Higby, um, you know, Woods is still there. Cup is still there, but now they bring in Deshaun Jackson. Um, could be a very different offense that the Rams put together, um, this season. You know, it might be not, it might not necessarily be all that different, but I think having a quarterback like Stafford, you have a different skill set than, you know, a quarterback you had with Goff. Um, you know, Goff was fairly mobile. Get him out, get him out in you know, bootlegs and stuff like that. But, you know, Stafford's a guy that can really gun it 50, 60 yards. So it'll be interesting to see how uh, that offense, how different that offense looks. Um, so I think that probably does it for NFL. We're going to get to the Red Sox. As their season gets closer, they will be playing their opener at Fenway Park a week from tomorrow um, against the Baltimore Orioles. So that will be great. Will be some fans at Fenway Park. You know, I mentioned that there were fans at the Garden last night. Uh, will be fans when the Celtics come back to the Garden next week. Uh, 
And I think there will be some fans for the revolution, you know, when they come back in the middle of April. Um, so, you know, you got the Red Sox coming to an end with spring training. Um, I think that the pitching has been pretty solid. You know, if you've paid attention to some of the, the um, spring training reports in the Boston Globe, you know, it seems like you've had the starting pitchers that have had some pretty good outings. Um, Evaldi is a guy that has struggled, uh, but he did pitch pretty well the other night, pitched I think five and two thirds didn't give up a run. So I think consistently the Red Sox pitching has been pretty good in spring training. So um, I think that that's something to keep your eye on, you know, and I've said this a million times, it's pitching, you know, that is going to make or break the Red Sox season. You know, starting pitching has got to be good. The bullpen's got to be good. I really think the bullpen will be a lot better this season. But then again, it's like, it really depends on your starters. You know, if you can get, consistent innings, consistent guys that can go five or six innings, you know, the bullpen's not going to need to be overtaxed every, every game, which was kind of the case last season. So, um, and then there, you know, guys that have been hitting the ball. Well, you know, Dahlbeck's been great. You know, Chavis has been pretty good. Um, you know, but then again, it's just hard to take a lot of stock into spring training statistics I mean, I think it's just important to keep checking and see, like, oh, this guy's doing pretty well. But then again, you know, it's like Evaldi had a bad spring but then had a good start the other night. So, you know, it's just kind of spring training is what it is. It's just to kind of get guys ready. It is interesting that uh, Franchi Cordero might actually be ready for opening day um, as he's been getting at-bats and playing in some games that, it was initially thought he might need to start the season on the injured list, but um, he might be ready. According to Alex Cora, I think that he might be ready to be on the opening day roster, which is huge. Because um, the Red Sox were really about to go into the season with like two regular outfielders, uh, Verdugo and Renfro, and they were going to have to throw, you know, Gonzalez or Hernandez into the into the outfield, you know, right away. So I think that's a good development. Another not-so-good development, um, Nathan Avaldi is now going to start the opener next week. Um, Eduardo Rodriguez has dead has uh, dead arm, or is dealing with a dead arm. Now, I'm not a super big you know baseball person. I feel like I've heard that phrase before. I don't know exactly what that means. Um, some people that are baseball folks might be able to um, answer that. Um, So, um, it's going to be interesting. You know, I don't know if that's a big concern for Eduardo, but, you know, the Red Sox really can't afford to start the season with a starter on the injured list. You know, they really can't be doing that. That really can't be happening. So, uh, hopefully, fingers crossed, that doesn't need to happen. Um, but Evaldi will start opening day against the Orioles on Thursday. Um, I think it makes sense to look at the Red Sox schedule just out of the gate. Um, I know that we will talk more baseball. We'll get Eric Bellier on the show next week. Um, but I do want to take a look at the Red Sox and their opening schedule. Um, you know, cause I don't think I'm going to get a chance to do that. Um, next week as Eric and I will probably be talking about, um, the majority of baseball, not just the Red Sox, um, but looking at the Red Sox and looking at their first few series, um, they will host the Orioles for a three-game set um, starting next Thursday, and then they will host Tampa Bay for three games, 
Then they will go on the road to play Baltimore, go on the road to play Minnesota. Then they will return home for, uh, looks like a 10-game homestand against the White Sox, the Blue Jays, and the Seattle Mariners. And then they close, kind of close the month of April with some road games against the Rangers and the Texans or the Mets and the uh, New and the, I almost said the New York Rangers, the Mets and the Texas Rangers. Um, so that will be, that will be interesting to see. Um, you know, I think with some opening games against Baltimore, the Red Sox could have a chance to get off to a decent start. It'd be very interesting to see how they do against Tampa Bay, obviously the runner up in the world series last year. So uh, that will be exciting. Um, you know, not too much news from around major league baseball is the season. You know, is about a week away. Um, Padres are naming Yu Darvish their starter for opening day. Um, Gio Gonzalez retired after 13 years, um, so that's kind of notable. Um, so the Major League Baseball schedule, if we take a look at uh, opening day on Thursday, April 1st, the uh, Yankees and the Blue Jays will play each other. That will be the opening game on ESPN. Uh, the Red Sox game is at 210. Uh, Evaldi against John Means for Baltimore. So, uh, yeah, it'll be a day full of baseball for those of you um, baseball heads. I don't know what else to say, really. Um, But, yeah, it'll be exciting. You know, I think the Red Sox are a team that really could surprise some folks this season, but we will uh, keep you updated on that. All right, so we got to March Madness very early. And last week's episode, because it was the day of it starting. Um, but we will now get into it. We'll get into the men's and the women's tournaments. Some things that have gone on. Obviously, the men's tournament has been pretty crazy, to say the least. There were there was one double-digit seed that reached the Sweet 16 two years ago, and there are four of them this season. Really, you know, crazy first weekend. I wouldn't say that there were a lot of, like, you know, buzzer beaters or, like, crazy stuff like that. I mean, there were some games that went right down to the wire um, that were pretty exciting, obviously. Then you had Oregon and VCU, the no-contest games of VCU, unfortunately, um, had a positive test within their program and could not play in the first-round game, Um, and that sucked. You know, that's got to be really difficult for the players on that team, you know, for the coaches, for, you know— any staff that's involved, you know, for that team, um, putting in all the work they did this season to um, not be able to play in the tournament, you know, really feel for that for that team. Um, so Oregon moved on, um, and then Oregon beat Iowa in their uh, second round game this past weekend. So looking at the West bracket, Gonzaga really has not faced any type of, you know, challenge. You know, Oklahoma challenged them a little bit in the first half. Um, of their second round game, but they will play Creighton in the Sweet 16. That will be on Sunday. Um, And then USC and Oregon will play each other in the uh, Sweet 16 Pac-12 matchup there. The Pac-12 has done very well in this tournament, which is kind of wild to watch. Um, But USC-Oregon spot in the Elite Eight on the line. Uh, USC dominated Kansas in their second round game, um, then had a really good first round matchup really good first round win against drake so um in the east baylor little trouble with wisconsin for parts of that second round game uh, but they are into the sweet 16 as is villanova who um lost connor gillespie 
at, a, at, at one point this season. Um, but they've rattled off uh, two straight wins, so they are in the Sweet 16. They'll play Baylor uh, tomorrow. Um, Arkansas will get through. They've had you know, a close game against Texas Tech. They were able to survive, able to survive a pretty tough first half from Colgate, but they got the win. And then Oral Roberts has been kind of the story of the tournament as the team that, you know, 15 seed has made it all the way to the Sweet 16. Cannot remember the last time a team did that uh, as they shocked Ohio State in that first game. Uh, Max Aismas, I think is how you say it, is the uh, nation's leading scorer. So he's had a good tournament. Um, They've gone through, um, you know, I'm not really here to talk about the university and this and that, um, if you if you get my drift. But, um, you know, they've won some games, um, beating Florida in the second round game by three. So it'll be interesting to see um, if their run continues against Arkansas, um, who Arkansas, you know, is a good team, but they certainly have not looked invincible, you know, in their two games that they have played previously. So that will be interesting. That game will be on Saturday. Um, in the East region, um, You know, things have gone kind of according to plan, you know, unless you're a Texas Longhorns fan as uh, Abilene Christian beat them in the first round game. um, And then UCLA uh, proceeded to destroy them in the second round. UCLA is to the Sweet 16, as is Alabama. Alabama's had some issues. Um, Some games have been a little closer than they should have been, but they are through. Um, Then Michigan and Florida State. Michigan with a really gutsy win against LSU the other night. Um, Then Florida State with a good win against Colorado. Michigan, Florida State, that's going to be a really good game to watch um, as Michigan, obviously without Isaiah Livers, could run into some trouble against Florida State as they're a pretty deep team. Um, So both of those games in the East are on Sunday. And then in the Midwest, everything is just crazy in the Midwest. Um you have Loyola Chicago, who has uh, dipped into the magic yet again. Same magic they had three years ago. You know, Sister Jean and all that. And uh, Loyola Chicago knocks off Georgia Tech and then knocks off Illinois. That was wild. That was a wild game. Illinois just could not, just couldn't get their rhythm, you know, all games. So credit to Loyola Chicago. Um, Oregon State with two upset wins in their first two versus two uh, tournament games, a win over Tennessee, and then a win over Oklahoma State, and uh, Cade Cunningham, probably the first pick in the draft. Um, then you got Syracuse, just doing what they always do, and you know, frustrating teams with the zone, but knocking down threes. Uh, Buddy Bayheim, Joe Girard were outstanding against West Virginia um, in that second round game. So Syracuse is through to the Sweet 16, as is Houston. Uh, Dejan Giroux. Uh, had a hip injury in the last game, really was struggling. Um, Houston was able to get the win, but very curious to see, to check on his health. So uh, both of those Midwest matchups, Loyola, Chicago, Oregon State, Syracuse, and Houston on Saturday. Um, So I think it's going to be an exciting finish to the tournament. You know, we've had some good games. Um, Really think other than Illinois losing, you know, a lot of the top teams are still alive. You have three number one seeds still alive. Um, I think as, as far as teams that could be on upset alert, um, I think Baylor should be very careful against Villanova. Um, Gonzaga, I don't think they'll have a problem against Creighton, but I guess we'll see. 
Um, Arkansas has got to be very careful against Oral Roberts that, you know, they don't let Oral Roberts stick around because that's exactly what got Ohio State into trouble is they let them stick around and they beat them at the end. So Arkansas really has to get out to an early lead and, you know, keep it there. Um, I think Michigan should be on upset alert, although it's not really a huge upset. Florida State's the four seed. Um, Alabama, I don't know if they'll have trouble against UCLA. They very well could. Um, I just don't think UCLA is going to be able to score enough points to beat Alabama. Um, Syracuse and Houston, Syracuse could very well win this game. Um, in the Midwest, it's just like really, it's it's hard to really predict anything, but Loyola Chicago, they're at it again. They might as, they might as well go to the Final Four. So uh, that will be interesting as we are into the Sweet 16. So the Uh, Sweet 16 games tomorrow and Sunday um, on the CBS stations. So as we get into the women's bracket, um, I think things have pretty much gone according to plan. Um, You know, there have been some teams that have, some six seeds that have beaten three seeds, but, you know, I think the top teams are still, you know, very much alive. Um, Some really good games this weekend. Uh, Really, it's uh, UConn and Iowa is really the game that uh, you should be circling on your calendar uh, to watch. It's going to be a great game. You have, um, I'm so embarrassed. I forget, forget what her name is on Iowa. She's the nation's leading scorer. Um, But anyway, it's going to be a great game. Um, okay, why isn't that letting me click on the pers- click on her name? Um, but anyway, it's going to be a great game. Uh, you have Caitlin Clark. I was forgetting what her first name was. Um, but you have Caitlin Clark, Paige Breckers, uh, you know, two of the best guards in the country. It's going to be a really fun game to watch. Um it's not at a great time Saturday at one o'clock because you know there might be some tournament games, might be some other events going on, but make some time to watch some of this game because it's going to be outstanding. You have two of probably the best guards in the country. It's going to be um, a lot of fun to watch this game. Um, so that is in the uh, Riverwalk region. You know, I know I said this last week that you know why doesn't the men's tournament have some interesting region names? But you know. Argument, argument for another day. Uh, UConn and Iowa, that game is Saturday. Uh, Baylor and Michigan will also play in that same region on Saturday. Um, in the Alamo region, number one seed Stanford against fifth seeded Missouri State, and then sixth seed Oregon against second seed Louisville. Um, so both Oregon men's and women's teams have made some good runs to the Sweet 16, so that will be interesting. Um, you know, South Carolina doing what they do best. They've gotten to the uh, Sweet 16 fairly easily with some really good defensive play. Um, They will take on Georgia Tech on Saturday, and then Texas and Maryland will play each other also on Saturday. And then in the Mercado region, you have one seed NC State against Indiana, and then you got Texas A&M against Arizona. Texas A&M, that buzzer beater against Iowa State, so they got the win. Um, So then one and the two seeds all are still alive in the women's tournament, but um, definitely tune into some of these games. Um, but again, if you watch one game from the women's tournament, UConn-Iowa, 
watch that game on Saturday. It's going to be a really good game. Um, so as we continue with the uh, college, um, <laughs> as we continue with the, uh, the college theme, we will take a look at the men's college hockey bracket. Uh, the women's college hockey um, championship went to Wisconsin last weekend, beating Northeastern in the championship. Um, so Northeastern, a great run to the final four or to the um, championship. Um, Wisconsin getting the win. And so now looking at the men's quickly, um, probably just give you an update on the um, teams in New England. Uh, we take a look at, you know, BC and Notre Dame. Obviously, BC advanced, Notre Dame having some uh, COVID issues in their program. So BC moving into the uh, regional file, regional final. Um, and then St. Cloud State and BU will play tomorrow afternoon. So BUBC may be a potential matchup um, in the regional final. And then, so it's brackets of four. So just 16 teams make it. Um, so then in uh, UMass will play tonight against Lake Superior State. And then Wisconsin and Bemidji State, I think is how you say it, will play each other. I don't know what these regions are called, unfortunately, so I can't help you there. Um, and then you got North Dakota playing American International College tonight. Um, definitely will be an interesting matchup. And then Quinnipiac uh, will play tomorrow at 5. So those are just the um, New England teams that are involved. So definitely keep an eye on that if you're, you are interested. And then keep it on the hockey theme. The NWHL is back. The uh, bubble season obviously had to be suspended a couple of months ago but they are back they will play the semifinals and finals this weekend semifinals are tonight uh the toronto six and the boston pride will play each other at five o'clock and then at eight o'clock you have the minnesota whitecaps or minute is it is it the whitecaps i feel like i'm getting them confused with the mls team um but yeah so it's minnesota against connecticut in the other semifinal, and then the winners will play each other in the final on uh, tomorrow night. So uh, tune into that. I was really interested in watching those games um, in the bubble on Lake Placid. They will be at the uh, Bruins practice facility in Brighton, Mass. So don't believe there will be any fans allowed, but uh, it will be an interesting event. Both games, or all three games, will be broadcast on NBCSN. So definitely, uh, if you want to check that out tonight, definitely do that. You want to check it out. Tomorrow night, do that as well. You know, watching the bubble two months ago was awesome. You know, watching these women, you know, performing at the highest level was really exciting. Some of these games were great to watch. Uh, Toronto, obviously, the expansion team. Boston, the team that's um, really been the, kind of one of the teams to beat in the last few years in the league. Um, so that will be a great, great matchup to watch. And then Connecticut and Minnesota. Um, will be another great matchup and then championship on uh, Saturday. So uh, good on the NWHL to be able to come back, be able to hold this, um, you know, semifinal and final, obviously probably in a perfect world would have liked it to go a different way, but glad that they're back and glad that they're, you know, pushing on and getting this to getting this to happen. Um, so yeah, a lot of stuff, a lot of stuff on uh, television tonight and tomorrow and this weekend. Um, but yeah, everyone enjoy, continue to enjoy the madness. Uh, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, my bracket is terrible, so don't even ask about that. Um, 
ironically, my women's bracket is better than uh, the men's. Um, and I just say ironically because I really don't watch too much uh, women's college basketball. Um, but, you know, geez, there's my bracket doing uh, doing pretty well. So um, I believe that there's a second chance bracket for the men's tournament if yours uh, isn't good. Um, so I think that's probably it, guys, uh, for... For, for me, don't really have any other guest hosts. Uh, but next week, we'll have Eric Bellier on the show, which I'm very excited for. We'll give you guys kind of a baseball preview, and we'll talk about probably some other stuff too. So um, everyone, go follow uh, Not Your Average Boston Sports Podcast. Uh, go follow us on Twitter. Go follow us on Facebook. You can listen on Spotify and on Apple Podcasts. And so uh, everyone enjoy, you know, the warm weather. I know that the might be cloudy right now, but go enjoy the uh, warm weather right now and enjoy all the uh, all the sports this weekend. And we will talk to you next time.